Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through to 20, page 1177. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, my words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Why don't I pray so that we can all uh, focus back on uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you've lost it, it's page 1177. It'd be really helpful if you had it open, as we'll be looking at that together. Uh, But before we do, let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways that we remember this. Pentecost, as we uh, remember the Spirit coming, would you, by your Spirit, be with us here today, that we, as we read your Word, would understand it, understand what you're teaching. And in the wake of the, uh, the attacks last night, Lord, might you help us more than ever as we think about how we can be lights in the world um, and how we can be your ambassadors to grow us, teach us, feed us this morning. Amen. Well, we are thinking at St. Helens at the moment what it means to be Christ's ambassadors on our front lines, in the places we spend most of our time during the week. If you were here last week, you would have got one of these booklets right where you are. I think these are really good. If you haven't got one, let's find you one afterwards um, so you can take it away. There's this bit at the back. It's really helpful. It helps us think about how we can be ambassadors, not just in kind of speaking to people about the message, but in everything we do. You know, it talks at the back about modelling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, moulding culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and being a messenger of the gospel. All these ways are ways that transform our daily lives into things that are God-glorifying, good ministries. And in fact, I was thinking this morning after I'd read on the news about the attacks at London Bridge last night, that I'm sure most of us have heard about already, that actually we have a great position as Christians in London of being able to be Christ's ambassadors, to be light in what is seemingly a very dark world that we live in. And actually, we're going to be thinking about prayer this morning. And actually, we have a great ministry. Later, we'll be praying that we can pray for this city and see God doing these things. There are so many ways in which we can be God's ambassadors. But we've just had Elizabeth's this time tomorrow. I thought I would give you my this time tomorrow as well. This time tomorrow, I will be sitting in front of my computer screen at work with basically nothing to do. So from the off, it's going to be hard for me to do good, God-glorifying work. But then on top of that, we're in this weird situation in my department where they kind of want to get rid of us. Um, Our department probably won't exist this time next year, and so there's a lot of negativity and anger. There's a lot of rumours going around, and it's really quite hard to find any goodwill from anyone at the moment at work. And it's so easy to kind of slip into negativity as opposed to trying to mould the culture to be more positive. 
It's so easy to join in the rumour mill and the anger as opposed to standing up for fairness. It's, and it's just really hard to speak to people about Jesus. The few times I've even got close to having a Christian conversation with a colleague, my football-loving team leader stands up and he says, that's a yellow card for talking about religion or politics, we'll have none of that, and that's the end of it. It's hard to be Christ's ambassadors whether you're frontliners at work or with friends or family or neighbour or at the school gate or wherever your front line is, it is hard. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. But what are we to do? Well, the answer of Ephesians 6 that Michael has just read is simple. We need to pray. Now, I guess that's not really a surprise. We've been told all the time that we should pray as Christians. We all know that. In fact, four years ago, I did an all-age service on this same passage just after I joined St. Helens. And I said, we need to pray. But I don't think I gave us a reason why we should pray. Why our heart should want to pray. Because that's where the rubber hits the road. In the morning when I'm tired and the temptation is to stay in bed rather than to get up and pray... I need to know why it's good to pray. When there's a church prayer meeting and I can't be bothered or there's something else I'd like to do, my heart needs to want to pray. So this morning, why should we pray? Well, Paul, the author of the letter to the Ephesians, gives us three reasons, and the first is that we would stand firm. Pray so that you will stand firm. Paul's picture in Ephesians 6 is that of a battle. And Hannah and I watched Gladiator last weekend. If you've seen it, I'm sure you'll remember the opening scene. You'll be able to picture this. If you haven't, you'll have known something similar. The Romans, the well-equipped, well-trained, well-organised Romans, taking on a small horde of, as they call them, barbarians. And there's no doubt he's going to win. And Paul's picture is the same. Look back, if you will, to verse 11, and you'll see that we need to be put on our armour, that we're soldiers to stand against the devil's schemes. Us, in verses 12, sorry, it's us versus, in verse 12, the devil's allies, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. This isn't a light thing. Paul's not exaggerating to make a point. He's saying that we're in a battle with evil spiritual enemies. And unlike in Gladiator, in this battle, there is a question of who's going to come out stronger. The devil, he has his weapons, his tactics, sorrow, temptation, guilt, worry, or even just giving someone everything they could want. What are our weapons? Well, verse 13, we have an armour. And then see what that is in the following verses. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the word of God. And the weapon that holds these all together, with which we wield these other weapons to stand firm, verse 18, and pray. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We pray so that we can stand firm in the Christian life. We pray in the Spirit, led by the Spirit's promptings, trusting that he intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And we pray all the time. Paul doesn't say, pray some of the time on some occasions with some kinds of prayers for some of the saints. No, he says, pray all the time. On all occasions, all kinds of prayers for all the saints. Like the Roman general Maximus, who never for a moment laid down his weapon in battle. We are the same. We constantly Keep going, standing firm by prayer. But I still kind of feel like we haven't got to the heart of the why pray question. And so I'd like to ask, what is it that makes prayer such a powerful weapon? You know, a sword has its sharpness, a shield has its solidness. What is it about prayer? And I'd like to suggest that it's partly because in prayer we learn to trust in God. As we come to him, we learn to depend on him, find our comfort and rest in him. We learn to find our source of salvation in Christ and not in ourselves. And so we find peace in him. There's no time we're closer to God than when we're on our knees in prayer. So pray so that you will stand firm. So in the moment of temptation, at the crossroads of resisting or giving in, what do we do? We pray. We think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing his biggest temptation to turn away from the cross. And we remember that he prayed And so we pray, Father, help us. Or what about when the devil fills us with guilt and we're ashamed, I don't know, ashamed to come to church or ashamed to come to God in prayer? What do we do? We pray. We know in our minds, don't we, that we're always forgiven for all our sins. But sometimes it's not until we come to God in confession and prayer that we experience that lightness of forgiveness. For me, the repeated driver in my life to prayer is that of worry and stress. Maybe you can relate. You start to live and work in your own strength. You, things start to become more daunting until you reach that point where it's all a little bit too much. Work's getting you down. You can't get everything you need to done at home. There's family worries and there's that massive decision you have to make, but you just don't know what to do. So what do you do? You pray. There are two verses I cling to in moments like this, and I find them such a relief. Matthew 11, 28 is one of them. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. What promises If we come to Jesus, offload our cares onto him, he will carry them for us. I like to picture it like we're, like I'm actually 
coming and taking everything and putting it on Jesus and that he will carry it. And how do we do that? How do we cast our cares on him? It is by prayer. You see, in all these ways, as we pray, we stand firm against the devil. We learn to trust in God. We learn to enjoy God. And the devil hates it. There's nothing the devil hates more than a Christian who loves to come to God in prayer and who trusts in him through all the hardships of life, as well as the good times. The hardships, the burdens, they don't just go away completely, but through prayer we learn to cope with them. And as we pray and stand firm, we begin to shine as Christ's ambassadors. That's when we begin to minister love and mold culture and model godliness and, and just do things where people think, yeah, that person, they've got hope. And so let's pray that we would stand firm. For some practical help, there's um, an app I use called Prayer Mates that I find really helpful. What it helps is it helps me remember who I want to be praying for. So in it, you can download it from the common app stores and you can um, put into it a list of things you'd like to pray for, people you'd like to pray for, and then each day it gives you some of them so that you can remember to pray for them. You could also, to remember to pray through the day, set reminders or always pray at particular times of the day. Or if you haven't tried fasting, then can I recommend trying fasting? Apart from it being something that Jesus himself kind of expected that we would do, it's a great tool that helps us to grow in our relationship with God and enjoy him. And as you feel those pangs of hunger through the day, you remember to pray and to live off God's word as well as off food. And if you'd like to talk more about that afterwards, I'm sure there's a few of us who I know enjoy fasting and would have some experiences and help to share. Well, that's the first reason Paul gives. Secondly, Pray so that you can help others. Follow with me again as I read verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, saints is a word here that doesn't mean specific Christian heroes like St. Helen or St. Paul. It's a word that Paul's using as a term for Christians. And so here Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to pray for each other. You know, we're all in the same spiritual battle. And there's strength in numbers. And so if we stand alongside each other, people who know us well know what our struggles are. We'll be able to help each other and help each other through prayer. If... The first reason to pray came back to our kind of vertical relationship between us and God, learning to trust in him and stand firm. Then this reason is looking at our horizontal relationship, that as we pray, we help one another and learn under God to stand firm. It's a wonderful thing when Christians pray together and for each other. The 18th century minister William Law once said, there is nothing that makes us love a man as much, so much, as prayer for him. Prayer helps us love one another. It unites us with one purpose, and it gives us the support we need to keep going. 
And that's all before one of the main reasons we pray, which is that God actually answers our prayers. There's a nice story I read when I was preparing for this that I think helps us. It's just a nice story of how we can be better together. Apparently, early Christian converts to, sorry, early African converts to Christianity were keen to pray. They'd have a spot in the fields where they would go and spend some time alone talking to their Father in heaven. And over time, the paths to those places would become well-worn and, uh, yeah, the grass would be flattened. Well, these Christians were just like us and prayer is hard. And there'd be times when they neglected this. But it would soon become apparent to their friends and they would gently remind each other, brother, the grass grows on your path. I think that's a lovely story of how if we're together, praying together, we can support one another, as I'm sure they were doing through prayer. If we're concerned for our family in Christ, then we will pray for them. And we'll pray in an informed way. I thought it was so encouraging this week, we had, in our week of prayer that we had, 7.30 in the morning in the evening, praying with people who were so much better equipped to pray for certain situations than I was just because they'd taken the effort to know what was going on. And for me, it was so encouraging. You know, prayer partners where two meet up regularly, or prayer triplets or life groups where more meet together, share and pray together, they're such good things to do and help us in our walks with God. I'd love to encourage each of us to make sure that we have people who are praying for us like that. And it's not enough just to have people praying for us, or for you to pray for others. It needs to be a two-way street. You have to be willing to open up and be honest and share with others what's going on and how they can pray for you. And then together we'll be able to stand as ambassadors together. So we've got pray that you will stand firm. Pray so that you help others. Third and finally, pray so that the gospel will spread. Pray so that the gospel will spread. I think there's a big surprise in verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read it. Have a look down. See if you find the same surprise that I find. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Here's what I think is surprising. The mighty messenger to the Gentiles, Paul himself, is scared to tell people about Jesus. Did you see that? Isn't that great? I, anyone who's tried to tell someone about Jesus will know that it's scary. But even Paul found it scary. And he was, he was under house arrest, chained to guards, potentially facing execution. There could have been a whole range of things for him to ask for prayer for. And yet the thing that's on his heart is that Christians might pray that he would be bold as an ambassador for Christ. And if Paul needs boldness, I need boldness. I think part of the problem is we often act like it's all down to us. We think of people 
who we want to persuade, we look at those who want to convert, and we think, I can't, it's impossible. And therefore, it's scary, and there's almost no point. You know the story of the rich man who asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life. Jesus replied, you must go sell everything, give to the poor and follow him. But the rich man goes away sad, knowing it's too much for him. The disciples, seeing how hard it is to be saved, ask Jesus, who then can be saved? You know what Jesus replied? With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible For the gospel to spread, for people to be saved, for us, it is impossible. But not so with God. And so we pray. And as we pray, we are wielding power. Not because we're powerful or because our prayers are powerful in and of themselves, but because the one to whom we pray is powerful and faithful over all things. An Australian pastor once said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. It's God's will, but that by our prayers, he gets things done. It's a truth that every revival in Christian history can be traced back to a group of people gathered for prayer. In preparation for this sermon, I wanted to find an encouraging story of God answering prayers, and I found so many. Story after story of people praying and amazing things happen. But why don't I instead recount the story of Peter's escape from prison in Acts 12? King Herod had recently killed James, the brother of John, and now his attention turned to Peter. And there's this great verse that says, So Peter was kept in prison... But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And so, the night before Peter's trial, while he was chained between two soldiers in prison, an angel appeared, and the chains fell off his wrists. He followed the angel out of the prison, and a door opened for them, and they walked out, and then the angel left him. So he headed to the house of Mary, the mother of John, And do you know what he found? He found a prayer meeting. He found a prayer meeting, people praying for him the day before his trial. He gate-crashed, as it were, his own prayer meeting. And it's no coincidence that Acts 12 makes such a big deal of the fact they were praying. For you see, God answered those prayers and then set Peter free in a miraculous way. And so let's pray with confidence. Let's pray for our mission partners. Let's join the St. Helens prayer meeting and pray for the work of the gospel here in North Kensington. And let's pray for boldness as ambassadors. Let's pray that whenever we open our mouths, we too would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And as we do so, we will see God work. So this time tomorrow, we'll all be at our different front lines. And whatever we're doing, it will be hard to be Christ's ambassador. 
But we have a mighty weapon. We have the ear of God. So let's pray. Let's pray so that we will stand firm. Let's pray so that we can help others. And let's pray so that the gospel will spread. Prayer is powerful. Let me close just with one final thing. When I think of what I want to be as a prayer, there's an elderly lady I once heard of that I think of. Now, I have no idea who this lady is. I can't even remember who told me about her or where she is. But I'm sure there are actually heaps of people like this in churches across the country. She was invited out on a Saturday evening but declined. She said, I couldn't come out on a Saturday evening as that's when I pray. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only time she prayed. Now, this was the time she set a few hours aside to go through her long list of all those she had on her heart to pray for. People she'd known from decades before, even people and children who she'd only known in passing. She believed in the power of prayer. And so for her, there was nothing more important that she could be doing on a Saturday evening, nothing with more eternal significance than an evening in prayer to her Father in heaven. Now, I'm not like her, but I wish I was. If only I valued prayer like her. Isn't there something so attractive about this sort of person? People who live each day by God in prayer, who rest in Christ in their troubles, isn't that such an attractive example? Well, we can all become like her. It won't happen overnight. In fact, I expect it takes a lifetime. But you know what the first step is? It is to pray. Pray.